Verdadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. Welcome back to another Dad Without Borders episode, and as ever, this is a two-part show. The first part of the show is a conversation with the dad, and the second part of the show is a professional debrief. I need to change the intro because, as well as Todd Kettner, we now have Catherine Williams, who is a clinical social worker, will be joining on a regular basis as well, just to mix things up. And this week we talk about all the issues around sleeping. So that's a great part of the episode to listen to if you're a dad with a young child. So before that, I'm talking with Jeremy Blumel. We talk about life in Canada's adventure capital, which is Squamish on the west coast of Canada. Uh, well, not everybody may agree with that, but I think I'm pretty sure there's a sign sticking up on the highway there that says adventure capital of Capital. Canada. Uh, So you can debate that one amongst yourselves. Uh, But we talk about falling into parenting with no plan, uh, learning to let go of expectations, how do you balance family life and conflicting work schedules when you live in a really expensive place like Squamish, um, which has changed over the years and we talk about that. Uh, Sleeping together as a family, we talk about climbing, finding time for yourself, uh, amongst many other things. Um, So please enjoy. And like I say, if you have a young child, stay tuned or fast forward to the end of the show where I talk to Catherine Williams about the topic of sleeping. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's great to see you. Um, Maybe you could just give us just a quick introduction to your family, and what you guys are doing in Squamish. Sure. Uh, Hello, Uh, my name is Jeremy Blumel. I am a teacher in Squamish, trying to be a teacher. Um, uh, right now I'm working in a grade four or five classroom and I have a, a wifeish person. I, we're not married, but I, my wifeish person's name is Mandolin. She is an ER nurse in Lionsgate Hospital. And we have one seven-year-old daughter who uh, is, keeps us very busy. And we have a dog, which is kind of a new a new oh, thing new addition to the family yeah we got a covid dog as many people did and uh who knew i didn't even like dogs before and then i got voluntold we were getting a dog and now <laughs> i love dogs so and what kind of what kind of dog did you get uh we got a golden retriever oh perfect uh, family from, dog. from mount curry actually uh north of pemberton and uh yeah her name's una and she is one year old and she snuggled me on my bed last night it was it was just magical she's so awesome so what you're saying is you're now a dog person yeah that's what i'm hearing yeah i can relate i'm there (laughs) um okay that's good to get that out of the way um dog people you're allowed to be on the show we love cats too we love cats too (laughs) um and i think we should say that you are i know you from the climbing community in squamish 
and you both, I, I'm guessing both of you are still avid climbers. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't, you know, it's always like scary to put yourself in funny little boxes, but I've climbed since 1994 in Squamish. And I'm just so far down the rabbit hole now. You are um, in that box. You are in that box. I, 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 but I'm like expand. I feel like the box is like, it's as big or as little as you want to believe it is. And it's just keeps getting better despite it being hard time-wise or injuries or uh, I don't know, like money to go traveling and do stuff with it. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's a special activity and, and we love it. So we just try and do it as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Do you, um, and you are a rock guide too. So you've been instructing and coaching for years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I'm not doing that very much. Uh, I feel like a, a, the last several years I've been teaching full time and right. it, I feel so in need of a little bit of a break come the summer months that I've been careful i've been trying to pick and choose but i do still guide it it's actually something i i kind of miss when i don't do it but i don't miss doing it full time <laughs> right yeah so just keep keep your finger in yeah it's it's a nice way to be a part of the climbing community in a different yeah way. totally yeah so here let's go back to the beginning because actually okay. i was just reminded yeah our kids are the same age we became dads around the same time right? yeah i think so and at that time i had just settled in the Kootenays. So we're probably eight hours of driving between us, something like that. Yeah. And I certainly found like becoming a dad, I had to root, you know, I had been living in a van and bouncing around and things. Can, can you remember the transition to being a parent? Like are there any highs and lows that when you look back that you can remember? You know, I, I, I wasn't one of, you know, I think, you know, you and I have, friends or I, I can think of like a few friends of mine who even before having kids they were like yep I've always wanted a family and and it's just something I know I always wanted and and I we weren't those people we we just didn't we didn't make a plan we didn't have a those talks we just kind of like it happened one day but it was obvious that it was important to us kind of it just it just fell into importance and I guess I'm from a family that I have a sister and, and, um, and my two parents, we, we have a, we have a fairly good relationship. So uh, it just seemed like, yeah, that's, that's something we're going to do. And, and we didn't really think too much about how it was going to change our, our freedoms. You know, I, I think maybe that's, that was an important thing because very quickly you're, you're not really thinking about, uh, yourself anymore like you're you're putting people yeah. ahead of you for the rest of your life and uh i don't know i mean i think that was good i, I mean we're not big planners we don't we didn't we didn't like make the five-year plan we didn't talk about where we would be living we just kind of went for it and and yeah. and it's gonna work out it's always gonna work out we live in, in canada the land of opportunities i mean it, it would be it would be hard to have things not work out, but uh, yeah, it, it felt like just an, an obvious thing. We didn't really read parenting books either. We, my wifeish person, Mandolin, she is like really amazing at just going with her gut. Oh yeah. And being very good at just like, nope, we all know how to do this. We just need to just believe it. 
and she, and she believes it. So that's been quite, uh, quite, in, uh, it's been an inspiring way to get into it because uh, parenting books, sometimes you're just like, I, I can't, I can't read this. And then like put it into practice. It's like, feels like you're trying to cook a recipe or, or set the steps to like, change sure. the oil. like it's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 There's way too much information out there really at this point. Yeah. But- I think you're right. I think for me, though, that transition was, which I've talked about before, but yeah, the reality can be a little different when you're so used. Actually, it just came up yesterday. We had a really nice canoe down the river, socially distanced canoe um, with two other families. Um, One of the other mums was saying, um, you know, I was one of those mums that thought, I'm still going to go traveling. Nothing. This isn't going to change my life. I'm going to continue as, you know, just as I have. And just the reality is actually quite different. I mean, maybe not for everybody, but certainly for us, was it kind of slows you down for a bit. Yeah. But you also, you know, it's true. And I can definitely, I'm, I'm not going to pretend I'm not that person who is always immediately seeing the, the positive side. It takes me a while. Sometimes you regret uh, that you can't go traveling or just pull your child out of school and, Oh, I wish we had more, money to do that but but in another sense it lets you kind of look inward and 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 maybe stop taking a lot of things that i had already taken for granted um in our easy lives here and on the west coast of canada like just um there we live in this great place that i haven't explored nearly enough of and it's been a long time like there's so many places i could go here with my family that i've still never been so that's been, you know, and, and a pandemic aside that, that yeah. family, we've just been like, you just look inward at your home and how, what kind of, what kind of like sense of worth that grows on you. It just becomes bigger and bigger as, as you yeah. appreciate it more. That's um, a good point. I think that's a good point that, yeah, you do appreciate your immediate surroundings a lot more. Yeah. Whether it's rent, you know, you know, renting, or suddenly we we bought a place and we're and now we have a home and we're homeowners, or um, trying to do a, a a rush road trip in a ramshackle van, like it's just like appreciating the fact that we can still do this, and it's easy to get maybe lured into feeling like you should always be doing these wonderful trips, but I think the reality is no one is doing these trips no. all the time and it costs money no matter where you live to save up some money to take time off work and and to take your child out of school you know that that has you know some that has like repercussions so you need to like weigh those and but yeah. man like I would I wish I, I can't wait for us to do something like that I hope we can <laughs> yeah and I think it's nice that like yeah that it's forever changing you know, the yeah. baby stage, I found the baby stage a little challenging, but then as they get older, more and more becomes opened up to you. And then you're showing, you're exploring this world with this kid and seeing everything yeah. through their eyes in a way that I think I appreciate everything I do more now as well, which is really mm-hmm. great. So yeah. I have a question, do you, in terms of the transition to being a parent, how much did it help you that you already were a teacher and had done a lot of instructing and coaching? Because I always think of you when I think of you, I think of you as someone who is really good at communicating. You've always been had it. You're the guy at the party. And I relate because I'm a little bit like this too. You're the guy at the party that often will be hanging out with the kids or having some fun or playing some games with the kids in the backyard. I do remember that. And then we've also worked together 
or I've hired you to work with teenagers that I've been working with homeschool kids. And again, the same thing, you're really good at being calm and patient and communicating. Did that help you transition into parenthood? Have you kept that or are you different behind closed doors? I, I think that um, actually uh, I've had to find a balance like teaching actually made it. I found a little bit, it was a, it has been a challenge uh, working full time and, and dealing with just being patient for, for so long and trying to be calm and, and not always getting louder in a classroom sense and then coming home and feeling quite burnt out actually uh, with dealing with that and so really like I've had to really make a conscious choice that as I when I leave school um, that's kind of just a a piece of me and that uh, when I come home seeing my own daughter is like a very different experience and and so I'm, I'm, I do find like sometimes teaching burns me out for some of the behavior stuff that we all have to deal with as parents, but um, it's been good for me to like kind of separate them. Yeah. Because uh, then it, it meant that I really appreciated my own, my own being with my own daughter, like even more, like I kind of, uh, it, it was, it let me be able to wipe the slate clean. And it actually went back and forth because I think, you know, it, we're just finishing up spring break now. So we've had two weeks, of, but it, but it, to just hang out with my daughter, it, it's found, it's really made me uh, a little more playful at school. Like sometimes the standards that a teacher might feel they need are too high. Like it's too much work, or maybe I'm just not a master of classroom management, which I'm definitely not, but uh I, I sometimes I just have to let it go you just gotta you just gotta let draw, let uh, let go of always needing so much control over the work environment or the home environment and just like your your connection with your own child is so different that I feel like uh I'm usually going to try and step back and let them let her oh yeah uh, solve it more I'm trying you know where I'm trying but uh yeah yeah, I find actually teaching and parenting, um, I think like maybe like in this day and age, we're asked to do maybe more parenting at school, oh, but it's, yeah, but which I feel like is, is, is just, uh, maybe that's a product of more families having to work more, you know, both, both parents, if there's two parents or two guardians in the house, they're both working because life is expensive on the coast and so that maybe that child isn't is having to go to childcare more and they don't see their kids as much so that's like maybe that's changing the dynamic of oh yeah, yeah. societies a, a bit actually and so maybe some of that uh the, those like morals and ethics and right and wrong and kindness and respect and uh, that would normally and is still coming from home it's just there's just not as much time at home. So that's a good uh, point. Are you guys, but are you in that boat? Are you guys both working full time? Yeah, we're both man. My mandolin works like she has a, like a three quarter line. So it's like uh, three days on five off right. for her shift work. But uh, she usually picks up an extra day here and there to kind of like bump it up to full time or almost. Right. Yeah. Um, so she's, so our schedules are, 
kind of wacky because I'm like Monday to Friday, you know, typical public school. And then hers is absolute shift work uh, rotating. So like we sometimes have a week to week or two together and then our schedules like get out of sync and we're basically solo parenting right um, around each other. That's been the what that's been since the beginning too, isn't it? Yeah, it's been. I mean, we're we should be more used to it than maybe we <laughs> we are, but uh, it's just yeah, it's tiring, especially for Mandolin. I mean, she work is 20 to 12 hour shifts for her. So uh, trying to get there as a new parent, like when we had Anik as a baby, uh, her sleep got totally whacked. And I think she's getting a little better now, but she has to really, I mean, she's had to like really change some of the things she does in her lifestyle to prioritize getting good sleep because it really messed with her and i think probably lots of parents can relate yeah, to that i think yeah. every parent can on some level yeah for yeah. sure yeah. yeah and i guess that's the nature of the work right is being because it's she, yeah she's an er nurse is that right yeah she's an yeah. er nurse yeah so shift work is inevitable yeah and and she i think you know we we've we never did any like like i said before we didn't really do any sleep training we didn't do any of that stuff so no. our our daughter anik she sleeps in our bed still like almost every single night um we're just used to it yeah we always have yeah and uh the dog now too of course so we've got you know four people four living beings that's the thing i think you just have to find the groove that works for you don't you so did you not beforehand did you have did you guys have a parenting philosophy that you followed did you talk about it like or do you just like just trip over each other and make it work? yeah we just tripped over each other and and just tried to go on probably you know we probably defaulted to our own upbringings which were were both like full of love and caring so we're like i hope we are still exhibiting that of course but uh yeah it it it, it just we just kind of went for it which i think has been good i mean yeah. I, I i can see how like different philosophies would mean like uh if we had done sleep training maybe our daughter would go to sleep every single night at 7 p.m and that would be mean that i have more free time but we didn't do that so what our, time does she go to bed oh god <laughs> our seven-year-old goes to bed at like 9 30 now because she's so into reading so she sits in bed with us and and reads so uh you know you don't want to discourage a passion for reading so yeah we've just kind of let her read in her own bed or our bed and she just reads to herself and yeah i, I don't know well we we feel like of course when school starts we need to like get her to bed a little bit earlier but it's it's we we haven't been too hard we haven't been pushing too hard to do that which uh means we maybe have less time for just mandolin and i but it's great family time like it's yeah. it's really encouraged like a, a real closeness with our all three of us which is really special that's pretty nice yeah for sure yeah, yeah. I, we're definitely the other end that was me though i think right for, with both kids i was like seven o'clock but that was yeah. because that's what happened with me and i there's some stuff i've really taken on um in the way that i was brought up you know that my dad did i'm a mom too um but that was one that i was i saw them do that and i i therefore i couldn't i don't know i just i couldn't think differently i was like yeah. that's what happened when i was a kid that's what yeah. we need to do and yeah and so so with boundaries and things like that i actually yeah i kind of went the other way i guess yeah. and not crazy sleep training but like really gradual 
mm-hmm. again not easy it's really hard work to do that kind of work but we didn't we wouldn't do the cried out thing for long stretches yeah we yeah, definitely right. have little techniques to kind of set and it might take half an hour of tapping their back whatever it would take but now he's two years old and he'll go down at like seven as an introvert i really need some time to myself in the evening for my sanity or i'll I'll find it somewhat some other way too but but yeah that's my uh there's our segue into like so like i agree i think we all need our our sanity time our alone time and whether that's climbing or going for a run or something but for me that time is in the morning like early mornings like i'm a real uh i wouldn't say i'm like a morning person like i need an alarm every morning to wake me up but i get up around five and it's either schoolwork like i just i work before work really well or i or i fit in training and stuff just because it's it's that's that's time yeah for for me it's that's quiet. my new my new mission but it's a little hard because if for me to do that i think at the moment i would have to be up at 4 four thirty. but i've been liking the five o'clock a couple of times he slept till six so my body clock has had yeah. me waking up at five and i've thought oh i'm gonna do it get up and i do when i can do it i like getting yeah. up in the morning before everybody else there's something about it oh yeah make yourself a coffee go for a walk I'm impressed that you do training that time of the day. What kind know, of training sounds, are you doing? What would you do? Ridiculous. Well, I mean, it sounds crazy because I, uh, like, if you're like, oh, how would you, like, wake up in the dark of, a, like, a rainy two months of pouring rain Squamish morning? And I, I would just slap on a podcast and I'd do my ridiculous old man physio to warm up, like, every, the same thing every morning. And then... Uh, I do a lot. I don't have a, a climbing wall. I wish that's kind of in the works for us. We could talk about that after, but I've just got a fingerboard and some rings that you can probably see hanging above me. Yeah. And, and uh, that's all I have, but I, I do a lot of just stuff at home and, and uh, it's weird. Like it just, because you have a little bit of like this quiet control over something you love, that's your time. It, it becomes like a special thing like you have this weird motivation that grows over like i could see that yeah dangling off a fingerboard with some weights or trying to learn how to get a little better i mean obviously i'm 44 years old and and i'm just trying to like appreciate the process of improving for my own sake like what is what does that mean it doesn't mean anything really but you know the, the average 12 year old to climb circles around me but it's uh it's been fun to just like remember that we're all you you can't just stay getting to the top of the pack forever like that just doesn't work and once you kind of accept that uh enjoying the the process of just self-improvement is actually pretty fun and uh climbing it's so addictive you know you you see a little improvement a little feeling of being a little lighter on the holds or stronger on some problem and it's like it's so instant you're like wow i can't wait to do this again one thing i have to do now and this is part of the finding time as a dad i really and the same with skiing actually i have to warm up warm up is so important for me and i haven't been good with that over the years and i've suffered some tendonitis as a result do you like so when you exercise do you have is there a go-to for you like is there some sort of online 
training regime you use or do you make it up because you've been um, doing it so long? I mean, I, I, I've been like making up my own. Like I have a lot of friend, friends or a few friends, especially who are like very knowledgeable. And so just like the, the community talk that goes, that's just like I'm looking to my friends and, and mentors as far as training and, and, and like talking with them. But then you like, you have to like adapt what's working for, for you. Like I have my own background and I'm a bit of a more of a root climber. So I find bouldering is hard <laughs> at the best of times. So just, you're just trying to adapt that and, and, and not injure myself. Like I've definitely over like the last probably 10 years, chosen to do things and then just like continued to injure myself and then changed it a little and injured myself a little bit in a different way and it's like nothing nothing super serious but usually overdoing it and uh now it's starting to settle in just like doing a bit doing less actually so i've yeah i've just tried to make my own plans up uh mostly i know there's a lot of coaching services now and, and and i know that i've thought about that but yeah i don't know you have a wealth of knowledge around you though too don't you yeah there's lots of books and there's like a bazillion websites so for for now i I don't even know if i'm really climbing at a level where or i don't know if i i want to coach yet like i kind of enjoy doing it on my own actually yeah um you know uh yeah maybe i would i don't know it's weird to pay money to somebody else Maybe that's a really good thing though. I don't know. Maybe we, I did start a few weeks ago before I had this late, I got an injury just from weirdly, just as a result of the pandemic kind of sitting at a desk for too long. So I've just tried, it's just like a bit of a nerve issue that I'm having. Um, But yeah, before that myself and friend Vince, who was in episode number one, who is a climber and he's the editor of the local KMC magazine um so really active guy and we sort of challenged each other every tuesday and thursday was our days that we would be um yeah doing some training and he he actually had a routine that he sent me but of course i fell off the bandwagon with that and i actually haven't heard from him from a few weeks so i don't know if he's still <laughs> doing it um because that's what happens but so i like the idea of the app with the training this kind of like yeah step by step i wonder if maybe it would be good to go to a personal trainer i feel like our life just so busy it keeps me accountable like if i don't just get up and write it in a little book and and do it it's never gonna happen like, well hang on hang on what's this book thing you're writing oh you know just like so i don't forget it's so hard to remember oh. like hanging <laughs> off a fingerboard or just a little book i write it down yeah you know and it's like a, just a it's kind of a, a little diary i guess you could say it's so you're diary. writing how many hangs yeah, you know, hangs, hangs or even just like i go out climbing and I try this boulder problem and it felt better or I did such and such a thing or whatever. It's just nice to have a, a memory of it because the reality is we, we do probably climb a lot. Like we probably climb like three or four times a week if we can. Yeah. And, and this spring is coming up so we can, you know, getting outside is pretty easy in Squamish. It's so warm. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've been bouldering all winter. It's been a pretty good winter for getting outside right through. Yeah, see, the great thing with where you are, which is another thing I think about with our differences, is your access to climbing. Again, we're sticking on the climbing theme here a bit, but it could be any sport. But in terms of climbing, you're in the spot. Like, it's such easy access for you, isn't it? It just seemed the obvious place to live. It just, I didn't, it just chose me, kind of. But, uh, but, but now, you know, Squamish is going through its 
its own growth pains with it becoming a very desirable place for a lot of people and and it's an expensive place to live so and then as a family whistler's just too far too expensive it's uh, i mean lots work. of families do it and they do a sweet deal for you know ski school for kids is cheaper than daycare and they get lunch provided and but huh. it i could only go on the weekends and the weekends are so busy and and i guess lift line skiing just isn't really something i've I've done very much of in the past few years. And, and especially having, after having a Nick mandolin and I were not massive skiers. So we just thought, well, maybe we can just let that go until an, another time when maybe we can start looking yeah. at winter sports or winter activities. I wouldn't want, like, I, I think travel in the mountains is more interesting to me and, and being able to do that as a family would be amazing. Yeah, for sure. Maybe I mean, that that's one. that's the thing with this location, for sure. It's like Seth was skiing since the age of two. Yeah. Indie skiing now, he's two. I say indie skiing, that's not, that's a bit of a stretch. It's probably better than he's me. Been between my legs. Yeah, he's pretty, yeah. Well, we'll see. If you want to go between my <laughs> that's legs. That's not hard, actually. Uh, but yeah, location is so important, actually, isn't it? Like when I would think now, I don't think I gave any thought to it at the time, was, well, if I live here, I'm really going to cut my climbing down in half but yeah. I'm going to be able to ski more, but inevitably there's always something to do. And I find but, that the, the competitive scene here actually it, it, like a, I don't mind it because there's always motivation to get better, but also, you know, some, I guess you could work both ways. Sometimes I've heard people say that really like they found it intimidating to get into sport, right. into, into yeah. sports, but, but at the same time, there's so many people to learn from. I feel like the last time I was there, it seemed like it was a good that there was a lot of parks and like new parks seem to be popping, popping up very dog friendly sort of town. Yeah. Yeah. But totally. maybe not, maybe not. One, well, I think one of the things that has been an issue uh, is actually like there are, there are, I guess there are parks, but is a lot of the development here uh, I think has not amenities that come with big developments haven't been required by the municipality. So we have seen like, we haven't had a lot of new green space added as huge developments go up it's just like housing 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 so um we have a ah, lot of housing right um, but we don't have a like i think that like the kootenays and and some of those areas because they didn't have such a massive bash of people coming in and, and such a maybe a, a higher level of wealth with per person they like they they had a bit more control over the the long-term view of their community and so that's something that, uh, that's the one piece I don't know how Squamish is doing right, right. now. In my view, of course, right. uh, you know, I'm worrying that oh, in the long term we might lose out on like the, what is our town gonna look like? How is life gonna feel here in two decades? Um, so with that, do you, you, got, you guys are rooted there though, right? Or do you ever yeah. think we wanna go to a quieter place? I mean, you have a pretty good setup. I yeah, I, I so far we're not we're not thinking of moving. Uh, I have my most of my family lives in the Okanagan. Um, same with Mandolin's family, um, and then a bunch of extended extended family in Quebec. But um, yeah, we wouldn't leave. Yeah, but do, so with the busyness and the expense, do you find you guys a lot? So what we're doing here now in the Kootenays, which is not uncommon. Uh, with many of the organizations here is we have a four-day work week so our hours here in the Kootenays maybe unlike elsewhere a full 
week, a full, it would be 35 hours, would be a full-time week. Yeah. So we can compress that into four days, and then we have a guaranteed three-day weekend every weekend. So that's, kind of, that's how we roll out. Now, we could choose to do additional jobs or maybe, you know, do other things, but that's enough uh, to maintain a comfortable lifestyle and everything yeah. we need. Do, can you guys, do you have that kind of, I mean, you're a teacher, so you're locked in with the- Yeah, you know what? You're almost, you almost just convinced me to move to the Kootenays right there, Blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, four, four day, a four-day work week would be amazing for so many mental health reasons. I couldn't even begin to- to uh, talk about them, but it's just not possible. You have to work. You have to work a lot here to afford life. Like really, uh, eh? um, and that's that's the the curse of, of city. The, it's almost like city living. It is. It is yeah. city living. I've said to a, a mutual buddy of ours, Sonny, like he he's considered coming back, and it's like it's going to feel like a city here. And it and I grew up in Vancouver, and it feels very similar now. We have we have uh, volumes of people coming in. You know, like heading south to Vancouver on a Sunday afternoon, there's, there's standstill traffic all along the highway. Cause wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an expensive place. And so you have to work a lot and whether that's like, usually that makes up two parents working some, a job, you know, like an, an, a nurse and a, and a teacher where we're just trying to make sure we balance like working as much full time as we can, but then boy, taking, taking some time off would be amazing. Uh, you know, we, we can, we're going to try and do that. We have a suite in our house and we, we rent that out to try and keep things more manageable. And without that, I don't think it would be possible. Like it's it, almost everyone has a suite here because they need some other source of income. Wow. Most people I know you, you know, you have friends here too, that that's how they try to bridge the, the financial gap is like rent your place out people are always willing to come here and, and go mountain biking i think the summer being one of the biggest or maybe skiing yeah and yeah. uh or actually climbing you know like i've even run into people who are renting houses and just bouldering for a full month uh coming here and renting like it's a it's a real destination spot now it's canada's biggest climbing area and uh, we're starting to do a lot of back, just hiking and backpacking and exploring like the, the Gulf Islands. And, you know, you need to get away from your home sometimes to refresh your perspective on, on your home. And so if you take it, so thinking of when you go away, are you guys still climbing? Like, is that how as a family you go away, you're on a climbing road trip? So, so far, yeah. Um, yeah. We, we've done a lot of like family visiting as well as, as just our families are getting older and trying to always stay connected with like our daughter and Nick and seeing cousins and seeing grandparents. And, but uh, it's been a lot of climbing, although, you know, we're, we'd like to go to Quebec and see Mandolin's extended family too. And our daughter is French speaking. She's in the French school here. So uh, it's, that's, that's something we can't wait to do. So, you know, climbing is all the, it sounds like all I think about is climbing, but actually uh, it would be nice to, like just to get away and, and be a just to, to see the rest of Canada, even to explore BC. Like there's so much else to come and visit you. It's that would feel like ridiculously exotic at this point to go to the Kootenays. Oh yeah. We might as well go to Barcelona. I feel like almost the same. <laughs> it's uh yeah, I've actually, I think it's been good for me. 
still trying to climb. I mean, I've been a bit injured this last year, but other than that, like, yeah, definitely still climbing pretty regularly, but it's been nice to loosen it up. And actually I took up skateboarding, which <laughs> is actually super fun. I think like bouldering, it's really playful. Because How are your what, ankles? Good, good. Wow. I mean, I, I, I kind of go at it. I'm not like one of these guys that used to skateboard and then got into it again. So starts jumping into things that maybe I shouldn't. I'm ridiculous because I'm in my mid forties here doing this, but yeah. it's so playful that it's made me really excited to learn all sorts of new things. Like biking will be a thing I take up this year because the yeah. kids really love it. Yeah. I'm like, why not? I kind of like the, the fun of just exploring new activities in a way that with climbing, as you know, you can't, yeah. you want to hit certain grades and you want to, you push yourself. But yeah. with these activities, I'm like, I'm in my mid forties. I'm not doing it for performance, but I, I still will push myself. You want to do a kickflip. I want to do a kickflip if I could. Yeah. You want to do I'm a kickflip. You know, I don't know what the mountain biking equivalent is. I, I used to bike a lot before I climbed, but biking is such a different beast now. It's almost too scary. Do you, <laughs> do you bike? No, I, I, I actually don't. I'm like the last, I think I might be the only citizen in Squamish who doesn't own a mountain bike. You know, the younger kids are, they ride these flowy constructed trails so effortlessly. I'm on the blue runs, you know, whatever the kids can do at age seven, that's my level. That's I my, I, I agree. Think I'm going above beyond that, but that's actually fun. I've been enjoying it. And again, it's all about just doing activities where the kids are engaged and having a good yeah. time, but yeah. I'm getting some exercise too. I really yeah. like that. Um, I agree. And I, I, there's things like uh, actually like kayaking and, and things like that. Just uh, like, like ocean kayaking. I'm, I'm, I have like no connection to the ocean in most of my life. Me neither. And it does seem a little weird considering I've lived near the ocean for my entire life. And Mandolin was like born on an island in Northern BC and lived on, you know, the ocean almost. So that, that's something that I really, I have a few friends who do like family kayak trips and they look so fun that that would be something I would love to do. I think that looks like You're right. really amazing. That would, that would be a good one. And actually we live on a lake, which people often do that. It takes about five days to paddle the whole lake. Man, that sounds so clean. Fun. And well, there you go. Stick that on your maybe list for that's uh, my, yeah, that's my maybe list. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we actually just yesterday we did, it was three families two. well, we have one kid with us right now two, but one's not here. Yeah. at the moment um so yeah two kids in each boat and then we drifted down the river just for like an hour but just the idea of throwing some cat i could imagine throwing in the camping gear and all three families kids are super well behaved in the boats because they've been they've been used to it they've they all the kids including ours has been in a canoe before so they were great they were super yeah super happy just sitting there and looking at the birds and we drifted through a bird sanctuary the the water is crystal clear I went in actually. I did. I jumped in a couple of days ago just for fun. Like it's not too bad. And, <laughs> but just the idea of in the summer being able to do that swimming, stopping, picnicking, stop anywhere you want with the camping gear, tons of coolers full of food. Like that's a really fun, I think, healthy activity to do as a family. Oh, yeah. That sounds amazing. And that, that, that would, you know, it's just another way of enjoying our, our, our landscape, which I think in the next overall as a parent, like, even though I talk about climbing a lot, I, I really, I, I would like to live in the outdoors more. I, I, I believe it is important, obviously, from an environmental perspective and a happiness perspective. And 
it's really challenging, you know, there's so many climate issues and climate change and environmental stuff. It, there's so much. And I think that you can probably relate to like teaching our children to, to, to treat that as a really, is like not take it for granted. It's a really special thing. And to be able to be outside and be comfortable with that all in, in many different parts of, of the environment in Canada is really what I would like. I think the kids that actually the kids that we went out with yesterday, they're all a little bit older. I think the youngest, I'm just going to guess here, but I think the youngest was maybe seven, six, seven, somewhere in there. But it showed these kids, the two families that they go camping religiously every summer, like almost every weekend they're out somewhere. Um, and it shows because the kids are also grounded. They're really comfortable as well, actually. And credit to all of the parents on that, um, talking to other adults. But just, yeah, like I say, sitting in the canoe and their ability to, just to be calm and relaxed and very, you can see, just very much immersed in their surroundings. Yeah. I think that comes from them spending a lot of time in the outdoors camping with the parents. Yeah. And, I, and I love that. And that was a good reminder to me. And we do camp at least once or twice in the summer, but to really make a big effort this year, actually, to get out there. Yeah. Now that our smallest is now two, it's not too bad. But camping with a baby, I don't know if you've ever done it. It's just We how- did it, it was car camping. We never didn't, we didn't uh, do anything like backpacking style. I mean, day stuff, but I mean, it was definitely, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I, I have hilarious memories of trying to camp in Smith Rocks with a Nick when she was like one, and, the, and borrowing a gigantic tent so we could like have a nice bed and then it blew away and it's like minus five in the morning and yeah you know like but it was all worth it and and it and I would totally do it again and, yeah know, we have a an old van that helps us out there now but I love car like, camping I love car camping yeah now. it's it's I awesome love, I'm in like I never used to think I would didn't think I'd be that person but it's yeah. so much easier. Like just yeah. who cares about, I don't need to get to the top of the mountain pass where the campsite no. is. I'll camp in the, yeah, the nearby BC parks with full facilities quite happily. Yeah. yeah. No problem. Um, so yeah. do you, th- do you think um, that you are a model of your parents and how you were raised or do you think you're the 2.0 version? I think that probably my values are, more or less my parents but I definitely can recognize especially as I get older like obviously the generational differences of of like what they strived for and you can probably relate with your parents like to have a job to keep that your life to have your house that was a really that was like sometimes felt like the end of it when I think of my parents now obviously I can't just ask my mom if they were you know they had other things but that was that made up like worth to them and I think you know we do live in a time of more we have a lot of opportunities and uh it's almost feelings like we're sometimes we're trying to scale backwards we're like we're trying to work less and live with less and you know I do not want a bigger house I want to you know not acquire stuff because then I need places to put it I want to try and prioritize uh i guess travel or activities or or doing things more but yeah yeah. yeah, it's it's a balance because then you have to work more than our parents did 
to afford that. So I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky. I, I think in the end, I'm, I'm probably a pretty good uh, extension of my, my mom and dad's values. Yeah, I yeah. think so. That's a good point, actually. There's, I think you're right about the, um, I think it's generally a trend with a lot of people anyway, that it's about activities and time doing stuff now more than it is about filling your house with stuff, Yeah, which is back in my, I mean, my parents are pretty, uh, how would I say? They're pretty minimal in that sense. There wasn't, you think we joked once that if anybody broke into my parents' house, they'd be kind of scratching their head as to what to take. So they had, but it's, but it's still lots of fur, nice furniture and, you know, things like that. And mm-hmm. we do keep things pretty simple here. Cause you're right. The more stuff you buy, the more you have to work. Yeah. And you don't have that time to go and have that experience with your kids, which mm-hmm. is what I really, that's what I really work hard and strive for now is engagement. Totally. And Whether it's tricky it's because the world around you can kind of like pull you into living a certain way. If you're not really mindful of it, you know, the idea of, how you deal with your own money that you make and your, or if you're buying a house or just renting, or it's really easy to just expect that you should be doing these things. And I think there's a lot of talk in the kind of the climbing community in Squamish that have lived here for like the long haul, you know, maybe owning a house isn't the pinnacle. Maybe you just rent because buying is unattainable here. It's not, it's not possible. So um you know we would never be able to buy another house here and i we don't want it because it's too much money and if anything we would probably downsize or leap because it's you know so i i really feel like there, there's some you know maybe new norms will will appear where renting is norm more normal if in communities that where they value their time more than their assets yeah or- yeah i mean you are living in an incredible location i mean it's yeah something else yeah um and again, I love where we live, but it's always just, yeah, you just got to make the best of where you are. And with, I a, know, so it's, with a kid initially, you know, it's going to certainly initially anyway, you're going to be have to take a couple of years in baby land. Yeah. To slow down a little bit. Um, and we've, we're, I mean, we've definitely, you know, we've had to slow down in, in lots of ways for sure. But there, year and year, it's so much cooler to be a family introducing your child our daughter to to life appreciating this simple thing like climbing it it, it, i feel like who knows maybe she won't be a climber but but it's going to be something that's surrounding her and and totally she's yeah 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 and you know i think you're setting her up really well for that i mean the gym climbing you know i know it's like that's like a real stepping point for a lot of youth now is that's how they've gotten into climbing and i don't know how i I mean, it's generally from a competition standpoint, and that's something I don't, I'm not sure about. I don't know. Uh, I oh, yeah. Little, I, I worry a little bit about like that being like a really one sided entry, entry point into some into an activity that is actually much bigger than. Yeah, but if you're thinking about show. your daughter, though, if she, she has that, she'll have that like broad experience in climbing because of you guys going on trips and yeah well you know, we try uh, we're trying yeah. totally yeah. and i really have to like back off and and i have to put myself in her shoes and just like imagine what is fun about coming out here to the boulders or the or to come to a cliff and yeah it, it probably does for the most part it seem pretty scary actually especially on a rope like we have lots of easy areas so i feel like that's 
good from a beginner point of view to have just playful experiences dangling on a top rope. That's, that's actually really great yeah. because it kind of straddles the boundary, but the climbing gym is tall and steep and yeah, um, it's gotta be, it's gotta be something that they want to come back to and whether that's backpacking or climbing or mountain biking, it's got to have like a reason to come back. And if they had some terrible, like tearful epic that's probably not gonna, gonna yeah. help your cause yeah so here's a question for you like what have you what have you learned about yourself have you do you think you've grown as a person as a parent yeah um what have i learned about myself i have learned that that patient person that like you mentioned before if you said oh i see you as such a patient person that that actually that i'm not always that patient and that um I've had to really, like, as my daughter gets older, she's such a unique individual and they're so unto themselves that I need to really give her the freedom to be who she's going to be. And, and that, whether that's expectations about something you're doing or, or go, you know, or being like, come on, you've got to do, if you got to do your job, you got to brush your teeth or what, haven't you brushed your teeth or why are you brushing your hair? Like, can you do these things? You're seven years old already. It's, it's like these expectations that we assume they can do them. And that impatience, I think I, I isn't helping things and uh, to empower her to be her own person. I need to remind myself to, to really like step back the, the dad figures that I hold in the highest esteem are the ones who didn't push that. And I can think of like somebody, you know, and I know who's six foot five an Austrian, um, who is probably my high mark of parental examples. He's. Oh yeah. 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 Good, good, good old Georg. I mean, he's, he's somebody that I continually blows my mind as far as his like gentle patience and, the ability to let his kids be who they need to be. And he doesn't interfere. He let, he, he and I, I feel that, I mean, that's just my take, but I feel like that's, uh, he's been a really big influence on me actually. Oh, that's cool. I love that. Yeah. He, and he is, he, he carries himself that way, doesn't he? That sort of presence. Of, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, I think that that's what I've learned about myself is that I need to watch those expectations that are maybe from my own upbringing that, that are where I'm detouring away from who my parents were and who I was, who I am, is that letting them be there. there in, the individual is too, too great importance, I think. You sometimes are stuck in your own head and think having a, a child and a family is like a very good, if not really forceful way of ripping you out of your own head and really putting somebody else's life first. And, and, I, and, and I think that's how it has to be, or it should be personally yeah you're right it is yeah and it's you can sometimes resist that and fight against it at times yeah. is what i felt but overall i guess there's always the, the you know there's the little moments where you're like well is it selfish that i'm going climbing and dragging my daughter to the boulders or maybe it is like does it play an important role that she sees her dad is also interested in things that make him happy i mean i i think there's a balance like that's yeah, i think it's really can good. Get selfish too yeah, but I think that's actually a really good point that I'm starting to 
remind myself now is as much as I love going skateboarding, because that's what he loves. And I do genuinely enjoy it because uh, it's playful and fun. It gets me out of the house and we have a skate yeah. park like a block away. And sometimes getting away from the desk and from work just to have fun and be playful as an adult, I think is healthy. But yeah, him actually having, yeah, to see me doing the things that I love and what really inspires me can, you know, it's just, it's got to be a good thing, right? Like it's yeah. gotta, you want to see your parent doing something that makes them thrive and gets them, brings them, you know, brings the best of themselves out for the world to see. And I think yeah. when your kid sees that in you, I think it's, it's can only be a good thing. You know, I, I uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure we're, we're far away from being the parents who spend too much time at work. Although that's, that's also a, a something, actually, that's something that I feel like can be very uh, uh, hard. You got to catch that one too. And I, I for myself personally is like the time at work, it can, can just keep adding up. And as a teacher, I find there's a lot of hours and, uh, as a, as a fan, as a dad, I, I just, I got to cut it off. You're just like, sorry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not going to get that done. I'm not going to good is sometimes it's just good enough. And, and because my daughter is more important and my partner is more important. And I, and I think that's okay. Well, man, thank you so much for taking the time out for some podcasting. <laughs> and I hope this is, uh, is us reconnecting now. Cause it has been a little while. We've been out of yeah, it's been a long time. For a few years. But um, I would love to, in all seriousness, as soon as this pandemic allows, yeah. come for a road trip and come visit. That would be really cool. We would one, thi one thing I can say is once you get to the two years old, suddenly the world opens up a bit more again. Mm -hmm. It definitely locks you down. Those, those oh, yeah. First couple years. Yeah. It's Absolutely. But yeah, cool. Good to see you, man. Yeah, um, you too, Blue. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And now for a check-in with my favorite clinical social worker, Catherine Williams. Um, yeah. Hey, Catherine, thank you so much for joining me again on the podcast. I'm really excited that you can be jumping in um, on a regular basis. I'm excited too. Thanks for asking. So let's let's jump into the the topic which every parent has to deal with, which is sleeping. Now, with myself and my wife Sage, we just came back from a camping trip, and of course sleep with a two-year-old camping you end up talking about you know the you know the different sort of tricks that you can use we have a blackout tent for example but then nap time gets thrown off um and recently it seems that different parents take different approaches so we have pablo recently and he was saying from spain he was introduced to a very different style of um sleep training which was and I sit, when I say sleep training, I mean, whatever tactic you may be using. Yeah. Um, and, and it was completely alien to him, this idea of letting the baby cry it out. But their child, and I can testify to the fact that their child has grown up to be super well attached and very happy and, you know, all the rest of it. But at the other end of the spectrum, I have a lot of friends in this area around here and we're in Western Canada. So we're in British Columbia. And there is this different style where it's very much sleeping with the kids and not doing, I feel bad saying this, but not doing the work. I'm not saying they're not doing work, but not doing that, you know, taking that time and finding tactics to then create the separation and get back into your own bed. So the kids mm -hmm. to a much older age, and we know several people like this actually, mm -hmm. are playing with their kids in the bed. Now, yeah. my, I wonder, is there any rule? Is there some, 
is there is there a rule is the rule whatever works or is it whatever works mm-hmm. for the parents like what's your approach to that what's your thoughts yeah so um yeah the, i i i don't i don't think that there is one you know standard protocol or, or style that that works for all families but can we could we just take a couple of minutes to reflect on um, you know, what happens in different cultures or, you know, what, um, like, just go a little deeper into what, what you were just saying, Blue. So on, on the one hand, we have um, cultures and families that uh, see it as being very normal um, from generations in the past where, you know, the family, everybody sleeps together in the same room, um, maybe on the floor, maybe on, you know, mattresses or, or the, or they have beds, but they're, um, in, in one or two rooms. So they're, they're often, there is a communal aspect to it. And then we have, you know, more North American cultures where there is a very high value on, um, separate sleeping. And, um, I've spoken to families where there's, a high value on how quickly a child falls asleep and with how much independence. So, you know, almost like there's a, uh, for some families, they feel there's a correlation, there's some kind of success around the parenting if their child needs very little time and energy from, from them as parents. So it's quite a contrast. You know, yeah, versus, yeah, very much. And, yeah, I, relate, and it's, I relate to that as well. I got to say, like, because we have had, Certainly with my first, Seth, I, I worked really hard at it and it wasn't a cried out situation and it was, it took a long time. But then when he's like two and a half, even three, yeah, there's a bit of pride that I carry with that, that badge yeah. of like, yes, my kid goes to sleep easily, but actually it yeah. wasn't easy for three years. Yeah. I did, I put the work in. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's quite confusing for for parents, and um, especially if you know their friends have different ideas, or their extended family has different ideas about how how it should go and what you know what they see as being successful or healthy. So it is a lot for new parents. So I, you know, I always go back to uh, individual children and what what their needs are, and those needs are 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 based on several things from their temperament that they're born with. So some children really are more sensitive to um, stimulation or more sensitive to, you know, the the feelings of what's happening with the parents or with other people in the, in the family. Um, Then there's, you know, whether or not there's been trauma or a lot of change in the family, if something uh, really difficult has just been uh, experienced in the family, like a death or, um, or a breakup, for example, between parents or uh, illness or mental illness can really destabilize children and make it more difficult for their nervous systems to settle and fall into sleep. So obviously they, they need, um, they often need, require more, more contact and presence from, from the parent or their caregiver in order to settle for sleep. So it can really exacerbate those um, those symptoms or whatever the child is struggling with, if they're, um, if they feel a disconnect or they, they're, they're feeling alone with that. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it really depends on the child. If you, if you have a child who is um, comfortable being laid down for an, a nap after, you know, attempting that 
for a week or two in a very structured routine kind of way, wonderful. If the child is able to settle and, and adjust to this, you know, little, little mini routine and they go off into a peaceful sleep and the parent is able to get things done. How wonderful is that? Right. I mean, in, in the yeah. end, the ultimate goal is we want it to be restorative for the child and um, for everyone to feel good about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I listened to the podcast that you were referring to with um, your, with Pablo and um I'm, I'm meeting many families who are, who are uh, using the, the sleep training method. Years ago, we called it the Ferber method. Um, and now uh, there's a bit of a new, a new twist, I think, on that. Um, I, I haven't done extensive reading on it, but I'm hearing from some families that they've done that and it's been successful. You know, my caveat that I always want to add is, um, can, can this be done without the child going into fight or flight response? Um, I find it, you, you know, it's difficult to, there's different kinds of cries that a child has. And so if it's possible to do that where the child is, um, you know, unhappy, um, yeah. but able to follow the parent's lead, that's different than a child who is absolutely in the fight or flight or freeze yeah, yeah. response. And um, which is a, a parent builds up the stress levels, I think. Like I know with the first time it was I, with Seth when he was younger anyway, movement, constant movement, the classic when you yeah. have the baby straps and you're, you're kind of bouncing up and down forever. And I had yeah. a blueprint in my head, which probably still works as to where every squeak in the floorboard was. <laughs> and that's how serious I took it. Like I just, I would not want him to cry because it stressed me out so much. Yeah. Forget like what kind yeah. of crying he's doing. Any crying for me was too much. I just didn't want that. And so yeah. I worked really hard against that. Um, but one thing that helped me actually, this is random thought came into my head, meeting one of the local nurses um, in the first few months of um, Indy, our second being born. Um, in that case, she did make a comment that when they missed their nap cycle at a very young age, they will... Mm they will just, they, they have to cry it out almost. It's like, you've missed that window where they should be and they're kind of now overtired and they just need to cry it out and then they get back into their rhythm. I don't mm. know if that makes, if that rings any bells with you, but that was something that I remember her mentioning and me thinking, oh, it's good to understand that because there, there was this point where he would get to and maybe it would, mm -hmm. his nap would be missed for whatever reason. And yeah, he would just start crying and it was like, you couldn't do anything to stop it, but it would end. Mm. And then he would be almost like back in his cycle again. And then the next nap, he'd like, would he make sure he hit it mm -hmm. in a timely manner? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that, um, that way of perceiving or understanding it, but I'm curious. So would you, um, at, when that happened with Indy, were, was Indy in, in your arms? Were you with, yeah. with him when he went yeah. through that? Trying to soothe okay. him, but nothing was working. You're like, what's going on? And yeah. And we figured out that it would be for whatever reason, he's just, you know, just missed it. Yeah. We've missed it half an hour too late. Yeah. And now and he's so he was an settled. infant. He was an infant. Yeah. He's an infant yeah. at this point. He's very small. Yeah. Well, it, and especially, you know, this idea of the fourth trimester, the first three months after birth, when the nervous system has not um, finished developing or hasn't finished developing yet. And 
I remember um, learning about babies being like easily overstimulated and that there is this discharge aspect to the, the crying that can happen that needs to happen. But I think that it's, you know, ideally it crying in someone's arms is different than crying in isolation. That's a really great point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, when that, when that happens and it's not because of a wet diaper or whatever that, you know, being, being in arms the way that you were with the way that you were holding Indy sounds um, ideal. And with the sleep and with the sleeping with the, with the child at a young age, I would imagine that's going to help us build a secure attachment. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Well, again, I think it depends on the child. So for some for some families, I think it's um, a really beautiful way to to help the child feel feel secure. If both parents are, they value it and and they're okay with it. I think it's a problem when you have one parent who does not agree for whatever reason. It doesn't it doesn't work for them, and so that the child is then left trying to um, reconcile the difference between one parent's nervous system being really settled and the other not, and maybe even you know there being tension or resentment there. So this is where I go back to, like, it, it really does depend on the family, each individual family. So in a case where, um, you know, like there, there are many families who um, like, like their, their routine, like they've got their, you know, 30, 30 to 60 minute routine every night um, that works well for the child. That child can absolutely have a secure attachment. The parents can feel absolutely satisfied. Everybody's happy. Great. And then there is the family maybe at the other end who, um, loves the, they also have a routine and they love, um, the family bed and it works for them. Child also feels very secure. Um, some, some parents who, you know, in our culture where often both parents are working and away from young children, really like the comfort of having that um, the time in bed where there's contact while they're sleeping can bring, I guess, you know, it's, it's restorative in terms of connection for everyone, for the child and for the parents, because they have been away from one another for a longer period of time than say in other cultures. Yeah, totally. No, I think that's some really good feedback, actually. Like the reminder that in so many cultures that, yeah, the families will sleep in a room together. We just did it camping in a tent and it's exactly. so lovely. And he gets so excited and he can jump on mummy, can jump on daddy sometimes in the middle of the night. Cause he can't believe the excitement of having mummy and daddy next to him, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but I think, yeah. And at the same time, it's, I think it is important to nurture, as you say, like the relationship between mum and dad, if that's the dynamic of the family, because sometimes we can put so much focus on the kids and we forget ourselves and then we grow apart. And so that balance as well, I do think is really important. And I would definitely, yeah, if you can have, you can have a fam, the family bed model in your family, but if the parents aren't sleeping, um, they're, they're burned out, they're exhausted, you know, this, this is not really ideal circumstances. And are they cultivating a secure attachment if they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not able to hold presence during, during the day, or they're cranky because they're not getting enough sleep because they've got little feet kicking their back all night long or. Yeah. Right. And having, having two young boys, both of them, I can vouch that happens. They're all over the place. And so yeah. actually it's not from probably both the boys from about six months were in their own rooms. 
but in the sense of like, you know, we're helping with that transition. It's very gentle. We're soothing them and doing all those things, but they do sleep in their own beds because we just couldn't get sleep. It was as simple as that. I want to stress the importance of the concept of nighttime parenting, regardless of what families choose to do. And that, um, that refers to that, you know, after a child has gone to bed, that you're still available to them as parents, that they're not, they're not on their own for eight hours or 12 hours or, or whatever that, um, if a child is uh, sick or has a bad dream or needs, needs a bit of comfort that that's, I think that's really, that's definitely a more, it feels like a more modern approach because I feel like back in the day as a baby myself, you know, I I think we probably were shut away behind doors once it came to a certain time and that was it. And I've heard that from several, several of my friends have said that about how they were raised too. Yeah. You know, I have to admit, um, before we had children, um, you know, we were, we were buying all the secondhand stuff, getting set up, you know, we bought a, bought a crib, had it there in our our room. We were ready. And probably like a few weeks before our son was to be born, um, someone gave me a book called the family bed and it, you know, it looked really outdated at the time. And I remember reading it and thinking like, what is this? They they're doing this. They have their child, their three-year-old sleep with them. And my husband said, he looks at the foot of the bed and our big German shepherd is on the bed. And he's like, well, the dog sleeps with us. (laughs) Right. And that was, that was the beginning of, and of course, after our son was, was born, uh, we, we did do family, family bed and it, it worked well, but I was really tired. So we did do things differently with our, our daughter. Um, and I think having, having a second child was made it easy because what we, we wanted them to be able to have the contact. So we, you know, had a big mattress for them on the floor and the two of them could sleep together. This is like, um, you know, over, over a year old at the time, at that time, not as an infant, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And then, and I, so I think I went through a period of time where I felt quite judgmental toward people who didn't have their children in their room. And um, I'm not going to say I've come full circle. I feel very open and uh, just recognize that both options can work really well for children and for families. And that I see the family unit as being a priority. Yeah. And the child's needs. Yeah. That's a good, that's a great way to end, end this conversation on sleep because I think judgment and it might not be around sleep, but in, I just think, yeah, it's, it's not healthy to be judging others and have your friends judge you on the way that you, because no. inevitably within friend groups, everyone does something a little differently and you don't yeah. want to feel guilty because you're not coming to the party because your kid sleeps and you have a certain routine and da, 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 da. And mm-hmm. I think there can be that in society, that judgment of different yeah. things absolutely so um thank you so much for that there was um yeah hopefully some people can listen to that and feel at peace with their decision making around sleep training or not training or have you i term training sleep training when you say that we're talking the cried out method generally is that the sort of i i think so i think that's what most people in the right. field think i should probably think be mindful, when they hear that mindful of what i say yeah I versus like you know s- your sleep routine or sleep hygiene, just the idea of whatever, whatever your routine is. Yeah. Um, But regardless of the routine, it is, it is important that it is predictable for children and that they know, okay, you know, we do, we get pajamas on, we brush our teeth that you have like, you know, the same five or six steps that help them drop a little bit more, a little bit more, rather than this idea of you can just lay a child down and 
yeah. they're gonna go to sleep. Yeah, it's it's an hour routine at our house for sure. Nice, cool. Thanks so much, Catherine, and we'll um, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, please do share and subscribe, and leave a rating or an even better a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Please find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dab Without Borders and a full list of episodes can be found at dabwithoutborders.com. Thanks for supporting the show and we'll see you next time.